confronting cargo theft from railroads, more attempts to clear containers from congested ports, and continued strong demand for transportation and warehouse space. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories, as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the Group Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Heister Company, a global manufacturer of forklifts, high-capacity lift trucks, and container handling equipment. Operations rely on Heister for everything from advanced power sources for material handling equipment to their industry-leading package of Operator Assist Technologies, Heister Reaction. For more information, visit Heister.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, when we think of cargo being stolen, we usually refer to thefts from warehouses or from trucks while the cargo is in transit. But a growing amount of theft occurs on the rails. How big of a problem is railway cargo theft? And what effect is it having on supply chains? To answer those questions, here's Victoria with today's guest. Victoria? Thanks, Dave. Yes, our guest today is Ron Green. Ron is Senior Vice President for Supply Chain Risk Management Technology Firm Overhaul. Welcome, Ron. Hi, thank you, Victoria. As Dave uh, indicated, we frequently report on cargo theft issues here, but usually as it occurs uh, on trucks and from warehouses, Lately, there seems to be an increase in cargo theft from rail lines, especially uh, we heard in the news recently in the Los Angeles area. Can you describe what's happening and give us the scope of the problem? Yeah, sure. You know, cargo theft from rail is not a, not a new problem. It's been an issue within the industry uh, for, for decades. What's different today than in the past, there's several factors kind of you know, building the perfect storm around this scenario. You know, one, as we all know, the supply chain backlogs are are a present issue uh, globally, and containers, trailers are sitting idle longer. It's taking longer for rail lines, truck lines to move product from origin to destination. And with that, when cargo sits idle, uh, it's not moving, it is at risk. There's a common phrase in the industry, cargo at, at, at rest is at risk. Specifically to California, the, the backlog of container movements has been going on for many months and, you know, which has brought an opportunity for cargo thieves or you know, criminal elements in California to really target containers uh, in as they're sitting idle. Um, rail lines traditionally are not very secure. Uh, they're open, there's no fencing, there's no really guards or security around them. When you have containers sitting in the out in the open, uh, loaded with high value products, uh, theft does occur in, in today's age. And the most recent times, these containers are sitting there longer. You know, it could be hours, it could be days. These containers are sitting on idle rail lines waiting to get moved, which increases the opportunity for theft. In addition, uh, you know, the the constraints on law enforcement are re- really hitting the peak right now in, in North America and the U.S. specifically, where where law enforcement budgets are, are reduced. Uh, officers are directed to really, you know, the more serious crimes and property crimes often do not hit their top of their list. Uh, we've had numerous cases in recent past where we have a cargo theft in progress. You know, getting law enforcement to respond was was difficult. They politely say, you know, we cannot respond to this right now. Call us back at a later time. Um, so we there's a, there's a compounding effect. You know, in addition, you know, due to the supply chain backlog, due to the driver shortages 
in, in the U.S., truck driver shortages, that is, um, more and more companies are turning to rail to move their product. Um, it's many times cheaper than, than truck. It is slower, uh, but it's more, it, can be, it can be booked readily. So you get more product moving via rail, more high-value product moving via rail that is traditionally moving in truck on these containers, sitting idle, unsecured, and individuals can very easily, you know, with some small power tools or even, even just without power tools, open these containers and remove product. We've all seen pictures on, on the internet or you know on, on news sources of all the, the packages laying near the rail, and what you know individuals are doing are simply you know jumping on these containers, open them up, what's in them, you know grabbing what they can, and and off they go. We've had several incidences where uh, high value product was in the container, and you know these you know thieves probably called all their friends saying we have this this product in this container, it's open, it's unsecured. So here they come in, you know, and they've, over the course of many hours, emptied a full container worth of product uh, from, from the rail lines. Yeah, so it uh, sounds like a lot of factors making this uh, something that is uh, an easy target. Uh, you know, you mentioned California. I mentioned Los Angeles at the beginning. Are you seeing an increase in, in this kind of activity in other regions? Is it sort of across the board or is it, um, uh, you know, confined to specific parts of the country? You know, there's there's a common analogy you know why do why do bank robbers rob banks because that's where the money is and you know where do cargo thieves go they go where the cargo is you know so any major throughput area of cargo port uh, airport areas um, other areas where known for high value high rates of trucking a lot in the central states around you know Kentucky Tennessee which are known for you know lots of truck operations Cargo thieves target those areas because that's where the cargo is. Right, that makes sense. Um, what can you know, supply chain stakeholders, shippers, carriers, others do to uh, protect their shipments? And I don't know if you can give us a little insight on maybe you know some incidents you've seen recently that you could could speak to. You know, there's a there's a saying in the industry: if you can, you know, drive compliance across your supply chain. What that means is set of rules, handling procedures for cargo as it moves from point A to point B to point C. Um, if you can define those, communicate those down to your, your partners, your logistics providers, your trucking company partners, warehouse handlers, and work to drive compliance across your operation really inherently will help secure, secure product. There's a rule in North America where the first 200 miles of a truck movement is the hot zone. We call it the red zone. If you can get truck drivers to move product from origin out 200 miles without stopping, your rate of theft decreases by nearly 80 to 90 percent. Um, that just moves it out of those high congested areas where cargo thieves operate, and you get into other areas of the country not known for cargo crime, and your your load is inherently safer because of that. Um, specifically on rail, uh, rail is very hard to secure. There are locking mechanisms, there are security mechanisms that can be put on containers, but in many cases, those can be easily defeated with small power tools or hand tools. Um, so it's it's a very difficult scenario to secure. And you know, we see the highest value product not moving via rail because of that risk, risk issue and because it's hard to secure high value products on rail. Uh, but as I mentioned before, you know, more and more companies are being forced to turn to rail to move their product, which puts more higher value product on these containers, which attracts criminal elements. 
Right. That, that again, that makes so much sense. Who, when, who do you deal with when uh, working with, you know, sort of implementing your solutions to secure rail cargo? Is that the responsibility of the railways? I'm just trying to get a handle on, you know, who's kind of responsible for implementing any kind of safety or security measures? Yeah, it's, it's a combination. Um, you know, we primarily work with the cargo owner. You know, we call it the shipper in our world or the brand owner. Um, mm -hmm. The company that actually manufactures or you know their brand is on the product they typically own that product in the container that that's who we work with um, in specifically for rail you know if you can coordinate with the rail company to place a container on what's called the bottom bay of the rail car if you see rail cars going down the you know going down the railroad with containers they're usually double stacked you know one's in the bottom one's in the top the one on the bottom is inherently more secure because it sits inside the rail car and those doors cannot be opened. It's, it's impossible to open those doors without a, you know, major tools and a lot of time. Um, but the, the container on top is, is less secure. So if you can get your, the rail company to request high value handling, as we call it, to put the container on the lower bay, that does add a lot of security. Uh, but what we're seeing in today's world is that rail lines are so congested um, and backed up that getting rail companies to agree and coordinate a bottom bay placement is very difficult. But there are locking mechanisms. You know, we use a lot of technology where we get door open alerts and things like that. So where we have the ability to understand immediately when a door is opened and we can work to call in law enforcement. Uh, we may not catch the thieves immediately, but we can get law enforcement out there to put some presence in the area and maybe bug out the thieves from them coming back to grabbing more product, uh, which reduces right. the value of the theft from a few box. They may get a few boxes, but they won't get the entire, entire container. Okay. I wanted to ask you too, but just, you know, briefly sort of how has the technology evolved? Um, you mentioned, you know, technology solutions that you have, alerts, things like that. How has that um, evolved to address a rail in particular, or is it sort of just an overall tech solution that we're applying to, you know, containers in general? There, there is a litany of technology solutions on the market, um, hardware solutions that is, you know, and some work, some don't. It's a, a trial and error. Um, you know, we, we test a lot of technology and incorporate it into our software solutions, um, but it is, it, it, it really comes down to trial and error. You know, you trial it, does it work as performed? You know, what are the, you know, what are the vulnerabilities? How could this be circumvented? And a lot of times, uh, you know, these tech, these pieces of technology re require cellular signal. So in areas of rural parts of the country, uh, they don't work as well because of just a lack of, you know, good cell signal in, in certain parts of the uh, country. Technology solutions do work. We are very effective in securing these rail yards, but it does take a lot of work and effort to make it happen and a lot of coordination across many, many organizations to uh, execute a security program on rail. That makes sense too. I'll, the last thing I'll just wrap up by asking if you expect these trends to improve or worsen in 20, uh, 2022. Unfortunately, I do not expect them to improve. Uh, I do expect them to, to continue to uh, worsen. The lack of, of security around rail, the lack of law enforcement presence due to budget cuts and other priorities is, I don't foresee that changing in the near, time, near future. Um, and individuals who are you know, who are caught for crimes of this nature typically are, are, are out in bail within a matter of hours and they're getting back to their, uh, to their money-making activities. Um, 
So it is a it is a challenge. I, I don't see a, a society you know, solving this problem quickly. It's going to take private security and coordination across organizations to you know secure this these loads. Yeah. Well, thank you, um, Ron. Thanks very much for joining us. This is a great conversation. Um, we appreciate you being here. Well, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. We've been talking with Ron Green of Overhaul. Uh, thanks very much. And Dave, back to you. Thank you, Ron and Victoria. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Ben, you wrote this week about new efforts to clear the backlogs at container ports. What's being done? Yeah, and uh, this ties in a little bit to Victoria's conversation with our guest. Uh, I mean, you talk about goods at rest, and there's an awful lot of inventory sitting at rest uh, at the nation's container ports. Uh, we've been hearing for months uh, about, about the backlogs that have happened there. Um, but fortunately, we heard this week about two new efforts to, to chip away at those backlogs. Um, it's a problem that both federal trade regulators in Washington and also private industry have been really trying different sorts of solutions to resolve. Uh, in recent weeks, there have been more than 100 cargo ships just floating at anchor off the U.S. West Coast ports alone, uh, waiting to come in and offload. So. Last month, however, the Port of Oakland, uh, of course, on the West Coast, said that it would open up a 25-acre pop-up container yard that's located a little bit away from the actual uh, terminals. And that creates a place to move those 20- and 40-foot containers that we were just talking about. Uh, and this week, the U.S. Department of Agriculture said they would help uh, pay for that, covering about 60%, a little bit more than half the cost. Uh, they didn't, however, specify exactly how much money that adds up to. Uh, but of course it helps a lot. Uh, the agriculture department here is involved uh, as opposed to you know, commerce or um, transportation because one of the biggest impacts of that port congestion uh, is agriculture exporters uh, because obviously you can't export your usual food around the world if you can't get hold of empty containers to put the food into and rotate those into position on the docks to head out. So the idea is that with the new space, uh, truckers will be able to bypass marine terminals and those agricultural exporters will gain access to uh, the pre-cooled refrigerated containers that they need for loading perishable products. Well, that certainly sounds like a promising approach, but of course the problems affect more ports than just the U.S. West Coast ports, right? Yes, exactly. Uh, it's more than just the West Coast there, uh, and, and that, that was one of the complaints about previous efforts that they uh, really sort of only concentrated on one part of the supply chain. Uh, but in this case, we also heard this week uh, that there's a group in South Carolina called uh, Marine Repair Services Container Maintenance Corporation, which is, uh, they're a marine and rail logistics service provider. And they said that they would launch a, a similar concept of a plan near ports uh, throughout the South and the Southeast and the Gulf Coast. So that company uh, had earlier introduced the concept in Savannah in Georgia, and now they're expanding extra container storage capacity to 18 different depot locations throughout that region. So the company said that it's a really practical solution. An executive uh, with that Marine Repair Services Container Maintenance Corp said that uh, port terminals need the import loaded vessels removed quickly and the export loaded containers returned in time for vessel steve dooring. Warehouses and rail yards are simply packed beyond capacity 
And so the need for additional space for loaded containers is at an all-time high. Uh, shippers and the beneficial cargo owners have been responsive so far to the new service uh, that, that's in the southeast region there. And the trucking community, as well as freight forwarders, are securing some of the additional space. So that, that was how the company described its approach. And you can really see that the approach touches so many different parties and partners throughout the supply chain. It, it's a complex web. Uh, so hopefully, with this uh, combined efforts, they can start moving product more quickly all at once. Yeah, we certainly hope so. Thanks, Ben. Yep. And Victoria, you wrote this week about the latest release of the Logistics Managers Index. What does this month's report tell us about conditions in the industry? Uh, yes, that's right, Dave. Yeah, so well, the logistics economy expanded in January as demand for warehousing and transportation services remained high, as we've uh, sort of been discussing here. And that continues a strong rate of industry growth that began more than a year ago. Um, and as you said, that's according to the latest Logistics Managers Index Report, or LMI, which is a monthly survey of supply chain professionals that, that aims to sort of get a pulse on the economic activity in transportation and warehousing. So for January, the overall LMI was uh, came in at 71.9, and that's up about two points from December, and it marks the 12th straight month of readings above 70. And what that all means is uh, the number indicates strong expansion. Uh, 50 is kind of the threshold for indicating growth or contraction. So a number in the 70s or above uh, means that the industry is uh, expanding at a pretty good clip. One thing that stood out this month in terms of uh, the metrics is the very high uh, inventory levels index. Um, so tight warehousing and transportation capacity and high costs helped fuel inventory levels leading into the new year, according to the researchers. And this resulted in what they called unseasonably high inventory accumulation during January. The authors also said this cycle is likely to continue because um, uh, for one, high levels of durable goods in the supply chain are really eating up a lot of the capacity and as a result are preventing high turn ind industries from uh, moving as quickly as they need to. So we see this um, in the apparel industry was one example that they gave, which is kind of weighed down with inventory now. And you also see it in grocery where many companies are facing shortages because things can't move fast enough, uh, as all of us who've been in the grocery store re recently can probably attest to. Um, so it's just hard to move things through quickly. Um, and that was, that was, again, as I said, what stood out for January. Victoria, are conditions expected to ease up or change anytime soon? Uh, no, not really, and that's the thing. So the LMI includes a future conditions index, so they ask respondents each month to predict um, you know, industry activity over the next um, 12 months. And in January, uh, most of those who responded to the survey said they don't expect any relief from the capacity constraints and what they referred to as quickly rising prices across the industry. Um, they also expect demand to remain really high, as, as we've been talking about and we've seen. So it looks like the challenges that everyone been dealing with um, are going to stick around for a while longer. So really much more of the same, I guess, huh? Yes. Thanks, Victoria. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories and check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topics that we discussed today. Thank you, Ben and Victoria, for sharing highlights from the news this week. Always glad to be here. Yes, pleasure. Thanks, Dave. And again, our thanks to Ron Green of Overhaul for being our guest today. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. 
And speaking of subscribing, we encourage you to check out our 11-part limited podcast series from CSCMP's Supply Chain Quarterly on the top 10 supply chain threats. Search on your favorite podcast platform to subscribe and to listen. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Heister. With strength, durability, and their industry-leading suite of lift truck operator assist technologies, Heister powers your possibilities. For more information, visit heister.com. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters when the president and CEO of FedEx Logistics will join us to talk about how his company is faring in the challenging environments we find the industry in. So be sure to join us. Until then, please stay safe and have a great week.